Hey friend, what if I told you that I could revolutionize how you experience God when you study his word with other people? What if I told you that what we're going to share today could make such a big impact on your family, on your core group, maybe even on your church? And then what if I told you all that I'm talking about is just six simple questions? You're probably going, wow, this is a letdown already. You're probably going, how in the world can six questions change my life? In this episode, we just want to talk about how six simple questions have changed how we do God's word with our family and how we engage in God's word with other people. Hey friends, welcome to the Encourage Inspire podcast. My name is Nina. And I am Nathan. In this episode, we're going to be talking about six simple questions that have transformed the way we engage in God's Word with our family and with our small group, the people that we do body life with. God's Word is important, and having interactive time studying His Word is also important. Our passion is building faithful families, and we believe that God's Word is a part of that process. Thank you for walking alongside us as we share stories and talk about the lessons we are learning. It's exciting to share what God has done and is doing. Some of the people listening today might think, how are six simple questions going to help me, our core group, and our study of God's Word? Maybe you could shed a little bit of light into how we got to this place of using these six questions. Before I start, it's, it's important to know that this was something that we learned. This is not our own system that we've set up, but it's something that we've seen make changes in our lives, and it's been really impactful on our family in the small group of people that we meet to do interactive Bible study. So I think we've been doing this for at least 10 years now. I would have expected myself to need like 50 questions or 100 questions. But as we've gone through these six questions, they grow with our family as we've had more kids. They adapt and are reliable and viable no matter the situation that we're facing in life, no matter what scripture we're going through. And so Even though it's just six questions, it's very comprehensive in how it allows us to engage in God's Word and how we learn more about who God is and and know what He's up to. Hey, Nina, I've given a little background on the six questions, um, where we started with those questions, but why are some of the reasons we feel like these six questions are the right path for us to take as a family and especially, or not especially, but also for our core group as well? One of the big reasons we believe that the questions are great is because they are simple and they're reproducible. And that's something that we talked about in episode number eight about stop going to church. We believe that church, the experience we have, how we engage in church, how we be the church should also be simple and reproducible. So this matches up with with our thoughts about church. What are some of the other reasons why we believe these six questions are are the right path to take for engaging in God's Word. I think sometimes maybe leaders might be a little bit scared to dive into Scripture on their own without maybe a, an expert's advice or their commentary on Scripture. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in every believer and that we can look at Scripture with the Holy Spirit helping us. It doesn't mean we can't use commentary as well. But we can use these questions and other believers and the Holy Spirit to help us process the the scripture we're looking at. So what I'm hearing you say is we don't have to rely or be dependent on the thoughts of experts. Um, The Bible itself is sufficient, so it doesn't necessarily require that we have extra material for us to study God's word. And again, the comforter, the encourager, the instructor, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us 
he helps us as we engage in God's word. Does that summarize what you're what you're thinking and what you're talking about? Yeah, I believe so. How about how the six questions can kind of cross the gap of of generations, um, different learning styles? What's your experience so far with us using those six questions for different types of people? I think they're great for kids and for adults alike. I mean, that can be teenagers, smaller kids, older older adults. The questions allows every generation to be a part of the scripture that we're looking at and to dive into God's word. Hey, Nina, you mentioned that it's something that our kids can do. I know that our youngest, he's four years old, and he really probably doesn't understand the process quite yet. But how young have some of our kids started participating with the six questions? I'd say probably five or six. Our kids have been a part of the process since they were babies. Now, they couldn't speak into the questions when they were babies, but they've been hearing it since they were babies. Something that's important, I think, when we think about the six questions is is maybe somebody's not ready to do it in the moment when you ask them the question, but when they become accustomed to the patterns, when they become accustomed to what is the normal process, then they're able to, to work through that process as well. I remember a story when we lived overseas that they were using these six questions in a village. There's actually an older gentleman who couldn't read. He couldn't read at all. So you're going, well, if you have six questions, how does somebody who can't read participate? We're going to explain a little bit later. You, we go over the scripture and we go over it and we, we process it in, in several different ways. This older gentleman could hear two or three people reading the scripture. And in his mind, he could answer all the questions. And so this isn't based on age. This isn't really even based on the ability to read or not. This isn't based on spiritual giftings. It's just a, a process that, that really anybody can participate in. Yeah. We've mentioned a lot of things about why we think this is a great model to use for answering questions about the Bible, but are there any cautions in using this model? So I think the cautions, a lot of them are probably cultural cautions that we might experience as Western church, as Americans in particular. Now, what we're advocating for is not the common modern model. It's different. What I think of when I think of the common modern model Typically, you have a teacher and then you have students. And so the teacher is the expert. The teacher is the one that passes on the information. And oftentimes, the students don't have the opportunity to interact with or to question or to respond to the information that's being provided. So in this situation, we do have spiritual leaders, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's not that there's one expert and everybody else has to listen. There can be a seven-year-old in the group a uh, five, six, seven-year-old in the group, and that, that child can as easily respond to the questions as a 35, a 45, a 65, 66, 67-year-old in the group as well. So we're breaking down this teacher-student mentality, and we're really thinking about there's one facilitator, and everybody has the opportunity to respond. And, and we've been seeing some really exciting things in our core group where our kids are coming to group, and they are participating in these questions. So we're breaking some models, um, traditional models, and we're embracing the model that the Holy Spirit lives in all believers, and all believers have an opportunity to speak. We do want to talk about some best practices, and something I'm always mindful of. When we start to ask the questions, even though a lot of times we phrase things as, I think, I believe, we want to make sure we're thinking and believing based on Scripture. So 
if I ask a question to somebody, a lot of times I'll follow that up with, make sure you let us know which scripture verse you're referencing for your response. And there's a couple of benefits for that. A, you have to be engaging the scripture and you have to know where you're actually finding your response and your answer. And our responses and answers should be from scripture when we're talking about the scripture and and engaging in God's word with other people. Now, the other side of that, I guess that would be B, um, that gives other people a chance to find where you're finding your response. So if I say it's in verse 10, then the whole group can go to verse 10 and not just listen to my response and me become the expert, but they can go to verse 10 and let the scripture be the source. And the reason why we want to give other people a chance to catch up to figure out where we're responding is people need to review our response. People need the opportunity to reflect on what we're saying. That opportunity to review and reflect is really an important part of doing these six questions with other people. The basis of our correction can't, again, be our thinking and our emotions. It has to be scripture. Yeah. Right? So use scripture to correct improper thoughts or proper opinions on on what's being said in scripture. One thing I really enjoy, and for me, this is another best practice. One thing I really enjoy is that we get to work through challenging passages together. And a lot of times, like that um, that tension, a lot of people don't like that. I actually enjoy it when <laughs> we get to a place in scripture where there's different thoughts and opinions. And we really have to struggle with something. We have to struggle with other people through that something and, and something that comes to mind for me is if I'm struggling with something, if I'm struggling to understand, it probably means that there's at least one more person in the group that feels the same way. Mm. Is that your experience as well? Or, you know, do you think sometimes people just keep their mouth shut because they're afraid to look stupid or feel judged? I think sometimes people are scared to do that. But I think that in this setting and from our experience that when we when we're struggling through a certain scripture together, we get to see different people's perspective on it. For me, it actually helps. It helps me understand maybe the scripture, or maybe we all come away and say, you know, we don't we don't understand completely, but let's keep diving in. Like let's keep looking at it, or let's keep discussing this, or come back to it at another time after we've looked at maybe some other scripture that can help us understand that particular struggle better. Yeah. And and I want to be cautious in this next statement. Um, Agreement is not the goal, but unity is. There are scriptures that we won't always see eye to eye on. How can we be unified in heart and understand the kingdom purpose and the kingdom mission when we don't always see eye to eye or in agreement on something? And, And for me, part of the six questions is, God challenges me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, despite our differences of opinion and perspective. And that's a really beautiful thing, knowing that we come to the table every week and we ask the same questions, and we know that there might be somebody in the group that we will have to struggle with through through what we're, what we're thinking about and what we're learning together. But also, I think through that, sometimes you learn something different or you see something a little bit different than you'd ever had known before also 100%. and then you then that gives you an opportunity to to go to the lord and in outside of that time and and try to figure out okay lord what what does this actually mean and how how do i apply this to my life now that i've seen this in a different way yeah 
very challenging, but very rewarding and gives us that chance to grow. So Nina, the Bible talks a lot about what a church leader should look like. The Bible talks a lot about what a shepherd should look like. And and for me personally, I think when we're thinking of our core groups in Sunday school classes, life groups, whatever you call it, there's this important element of having biblical leaders in place. We're going to kind of discuss for just a moment, what's the difference between facilitating these six questions versus somebody leading a core group or a life group or Sunday school class? And so one question that comes to mind is, does a leader have to ask the questions? And I mean, what do you think on that? I think anyone in the group can actually ask the questions. It doesn't have to be the leader. But I do think that the leader has spiritual responsibility on how people are responding to those questions. Agree. And, and the correction that might be needed needs to come from the leader. Can somebody besides the leader ask the question? You know, if we say only the leader can ask the question, are we also saying then only the leader can answer the questions? <laughs> I mean, anyone in the group can answer the questions. Anyone can participate with the questions. But I do think there needs to be someone that is spiritually overseeing and shepherding how the questions and how the the pace maybe of how we're diving into those questions. From my perspective, um, I've had the chance to facilitate these questions often. I like to participate when other people are facilitating the questions because a, it gives me a, an opportunity to look at the process from a different perspective, but then B, it shows the reproducibility. It shows the simplicity of the process, and it now grows other people to lead and make a difference, guide the conversation, and that's really encouraging to me. I liked what you said earlier. Regardless of who asks the questions, who answers the questions, it's important that there are leaders, and notice I intentionally put the plural there. Mm-hmm. There should be leaders not just a single person upon whom everything is dependent on. Leaders who guide the group, provide correction when needed, steer the group in the right direction. From a personal conviction standpoint, I think that we should be seeking leaders who would be able to be elder qualified that meet the qualifications of shepherds and elders in in Scripture. Yeah. Hey, Nina, we've arrived to the time in the podcast where we're actually going to explain these six mysterious questions. Wow. <laughs> um, they're really not mysterious. Um, like we've been saying, they're simple, reproducible, and give people an opportunity to dive into God's Word um, as families, as, as small groups. Nina, will you kick us off and just explain a little bit about what question one is and, and why it's important? Question number one, this is what we always ask. What are these verses about? When we ask that question, we're not actually trying to take time to preach what this these verses are about or even extrapolate more on it. We are just retelling in our own words the scripture that we just read. We don't want to add any other context or scriptures to this time. It's just a complete retelling of the story. Can you tell us, Nathan, why we're we're trying to focus on just retelling, not adding anything else to that? Why just retelling is first and foremost, we're trying to keep it simple. We're trying to keep it reproducible. But in just retelling, we're actually starting to build the foundation of practicing the story. As we go through all six questions, we're going to have multiple iterations of working through the the verses. We're going to be working through the meanings of the verses. And we're building this foundation because at the end, we want to launch what we've learned into the outside world. We want to take what we've learned to the outside world, and we want to present it to the outside world. So we're building this foundation 
We're just keeping scripture first and foremost in our minds, and we're practicing in question number one because we anticipate and desire to have an opportunity to share outside of our our church experience. We also take time to at least read through the scripture twice before we even ask that question. We read through the scripture maybe even three times if it's a more complicated scripture And then we answer that question and have two or three people answer that question and retell it so that we can hear it and just continue to mull over what those verses are about. So even though we say two or three times to read the scripture, honestly, if we need four or five times, we need to take that time Mm -hmm. to read four or five times. Normally, two or more people answer the first question. But really, if more people want to answer this, this is not like a uh, super strict uh, structure. You can only read it twice. People can only uh, respond to the question twice. No, it's it's more about taking the word in and mulling over it. And, and that's, that's really painful for a lot of people because you go, why are you so repetitive? But there's purpose and intent. We want to give people a chance to practice God's word in their heart, with their mouth, with their mind, so that they can take it to the outside world. Mm, yeah. So question number two, after we've asked what are these verses about, then we start to specifically hone in on God. The question number two is, what do we learn about God? We want to know more about God. We want to know him personally. And so what we're doing is we're looking for truths about him. We're looking to see what he's done. We're looking to see what he continues to do. And we're also trying to, uh, to determine what, what his characteristics are what his nature is, what he's about. And as we answer the question, what do we learn about God? We're looking at God as God, the Father and Creator. We're looking at the Holy Spirit and Jesus as the Word and the Son of God. Even though we're going to try to extrapolate out, like, why is it relevant for us? What do we need to obey in the next few questions? We want to focus first on God. Who is he? How's he showing up? And what's he about in these verses? Question number three is what is most interesting or what stands out? Is there anything in scripture that you go, aha, or maybe you even go, "Uh uh-oh, what is that about? I find this question fun to do because this is where you really get to ponder on or you don't understand and you can ask and get other people's opinion on. Um, We know that God's word is living and breathing. He can speak to us and help us to understand it better and challenge us on how we should live. As we've grown in our lives together, as we've been married, especially lately, after you start reading God's Word, after you've heard a message, after you've heard a podcast about God and Scripture, one of the first things you say is, I found this interesting. And I think this question is driving that awe and inspire that just naturally flows out of you. You're like, God's Word is interesting. There's things to learn. There's things to grab onto. And it, it's really exciting to see you take this question, not just in the six-question context, but even into other parts of your interaction with Scripture and go, man, I'm just intrigued by, <laughs> by what is in Scripture. If we move on to question number four, we go from interesting, that aha moment, that uh-oh moment, and we start to go, well, Why does it matter? Question number four is, why is this particular scripture still relevant for us today? There may be people in your life that go, you know, this book, this holy book was written thousands of years ago. I mean, it was written specifically for first century Jews in mind. Like, why does it matter? Why is it meaningful? 
why do we even need to be looking at these verses? And so when we ask question number four, we give people in the group the opportunity to evaluate what specifically about these verses still is relevant for our lives today. Why should we even care? Why should we spend time together looking at these scriptures? Question number five is, what must we obey? This focuses on the scripture that we're being studied right then and there. And so we want to look for specific commands and examples to follow. Sometimes little kids will say, well, we need to obey God's commands or love Jesus, which are true, but we're actually trying to look for specific ways to obey his commands and love him. So we want to pull out those things that are specific to that scripture. I think an important thing to note is we're not saying this is works-based religion, works-based faith. Hmm. But as God is changing us, as we're seeing who he is and what he's about, we want to align our hearts with him. And there are commands in scripture that help us know how to live life well. And so we're responding in obedience because of the work he's done in our lives. And that's why this question, question number five, what must we obey is important. Hmm. Now, we started with question Number one, what are these verses about? We were building this foundation so that we can practice in in the outside world, outside of the context of our core groups. We had all of these questions. Well, question number two, we focused on God, who he is, what he's what he does. Question three, four, and five are about us. What do we need to obey? Why is it interesting? Why is it relevant? The sixth question, it starts to take us from focusing on God figuring out why it's important for us as believers. And then it says, how do we impact the outside world? So question number six is, with whom should we share these scriptures? We start with God. We look how it applies to ourselves and we go, other people now. How do we make a difference in their life? I normally subdivide this question into two different questions when I'm facilitating the questions. Normally I ask, is there a type of person that would benefit most from these scriptures so we can think of in context of are there believers is this more believer focused is this message more for unbelievers perhaps for both so we can talk about who would benefit the most what type of person usually then we'll ask okay we know what type of person this is beneficial for let's pray to god take a moment and ask that god reveal somebody specific to us maybe it's a coworker maybe it's a student that we go to school with Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. And we're not evaluating whether that person's open to the good news of Jesus Christ or closed. We're not evaluating if that person is angry at the world or a pleasant person to be around. We're just asking God, show us who we can share this message with. Because we firmly believe we need to be about sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him and discipling those who do know him. And after we pray for a moment, when... God reveals somebody to us when he convicts us about a specific person. Then we share the name of that person with the entire group. And that gives us a chance to be praying for you, praying for the opportunity that you have to share with the person that you were thinking of. And then even cooler, so we we finish off, you know, question number six. When we start gathering the next time, question number six connects to our celebration time and our accountability time. So one thing I ask early on when we gather How do we celebrate what God's doing in our life through evangelism and through discipleship? So if you took question number six from the following week and you shared, we celebrate that with you. If you had a name for question number six the following week and you didn't follow up, then we just ask, like, you know, what happened? 
um, how can we encourage you to follow through in obedience? And so we always take question number six from the prior week and we connect it with our celebration and accountability in the current week. And something else I want to add about these questions is that sometimes they start overlapping with one another. Something that's interesting flows into relevant or you go back and forth a little bit. It's not always so strict that it's like, that's the only question we're on. And to that point, sometimes there are questions where you won't have as many responses to it. Maybe the verse doesn't talk a lot about the nature of God or something God is specifically doing. Maybe one question has a lot of answers and another question doesn't. We're about to give you an example of the six questions we did with our family. We invited our three oldest daughters to participate with us. And to Nina's point, one of our girls said, I didn't really feel like it was as interesting as it was relevant. Or it's relevant, of course, but I wanted to talk about it and how I should obey and respond to it. And so these these aren't to be um, hyper-religious. It's not to be legalistic. It's just a guiding point and an opportunity to dive into God's Word together. Yeah. So today, as we study God's Word, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verse 5 through verse 15. As we normally do, we're going to read it two or three times, depending on how many times we need it, so that we can answer question number one, what are these verses about? This is Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Would someone else like to read today? I will. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So again, question number one is, what are these verses about? Let's remind ourselves we're not trying to preach. We're not trying to add commentary. The goal of this question is to retell the ideas, the content, the message of these verses in our own words. Would somebody like to try I will. When you pray, you should not do it to be seen by people like the hypocrites do because 
they already have the reward by being seen by people. But when you pray, you need to go into a private room and pray to God who is in secret and he will reward you. And also when you pray, you don't need to babble like the idolaters. They think that with their many words, they'll be heard. God already knows what we need before we ask, so we don't need to be like them. Jesus also gave us a model to follow. He said, give honor and glory to God, praise his name, and let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and provide for our needs. Also forgive us our debts as we have forgiven other people and let us not go into temptation, but you can deliver us. And he also says, if we don't forgive other people, he will not forgive us. Thank you for um, telling us back what the meaning of those verses are. I appreciate that. So this scripture is telling us that when we pray, we're not supposed to be like the hypocrites who love to stand out in front of people. They love to stand on the street corners and in the synagogues. When they pray, their reward is that they're seen by people. But the scripture is instructing us that we go into a private place, we shut the door, and we pray to our fathers who is in secret, and then he is the one who will reward us. We're also cautioned not to pray like the Gentiles, because what the Gentiles are doing, they're just saying countless words over and over and over again, and they think that they will be heard because they're saying many words like that. But God already knows what we need. He knows it even before we ask him. So Jesus then instructs us to pray like this. We need to pray that God be honored and glorified in all things. We also need to pray that his kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. We can ask him that he provide for our daily needs. And we need to forgive those who have sinned against us because God has forgiven us already. It's also good for us to ask that God protect us from falling into temptation and falling into evil. And at the very end, it says, if we don't forgive other people who have sinned against us, then God will not forgive us. So question number two is, what do we learn about God from these verses? Let's make sure that we are pulling out the verses that we're seeing, what God is about, what he's doing, his characteristics. Does anybody have any thoughts about how God shows up, what God is doing in these verses? In verse 6, we see that we have a heavenly Father who sees everything that's happening in our life and in our hearts. He also rewards us according to how we're seeking Him. I see that He forgives us if we forgive others. What verses do you see that in? Uh, 14 and 15. Verse 8 says that God knows what we need even before we ask him. In verse 13, we see that God leads us away from temptation. We see that God's name should be honored because he is a holy God. And that is in verse 9. Are there any other things that we see about God, who he is, what he does, what he's about? I think verse 10, and in my version that I read in verse 13, it talks about his kingdom. And so it shows that he has a kingdom that he wants to build. He wants it to come on earth as it is in heaven. I appreciate everybody's responses. Let's go ahead and continue on to question number three. Question number three is, what do you find most interesting? Is there something that stands out that intrigues you or maybe something that kind of makes you have an a oh moment or an aha moment what stands out what's most interesting it's really interesting in verse 14 and 15 that jesus talks about if we don't forgive other people then the father's not going to forgive us for our sins we need to wrestle through what that really means in light of scripture does that mean that we're not saved or does that mean that there's something that hinders our relationship with god 
based on other parts of scripture, I think that that means that it hinders our relationship with God. Even in our earthly relationships, if we have a problem with another brother or sister in Christ and we don't forgive them, then that relationship is hindered. There's walls that go up and we can't be as close or intimate with that person because of unforgiven sin. I think that's the same way with our Heavenly Father. If we do not forgive other people, then our relationship with God then gets hindered. One thing that's interesting to me, and this is found in in verse 7, 8, It's talking about that the number of words are not the important part. We can't just say words repetitively. And even with the Lord's Prayer itself, we can't just say these words repetitively expecting that God show up and do something great. If we're using these words just as a way to be religious or to check our boxes, then it really doesn't accomplish what we need to be doing as we pray to God. In verse 11, it talks about how we need to ask God to give us our daily needs, and he wants us to ask that from him, even though he already knows what we need, as it says in verse 8. I always appreciate your input, hearing what God's teaching you, and it encourages me. I appreciate that. Let's review real quick. Question number one, what are these verses about? We move to question number two, what do we learn about God from these verses? Question number three is, what is most interesting? What stands out? What intrigues you? Now it's time to move on to question number four. We're going to answer why are these verses still relevant for us today? So scripture was written thousands of years ago, but why does it still matter? Why are these verses in particular still applicable for us individually and as a family? So in verse six, it says, pray to your father and go into your room and close your door to pray to him. And I feel like that's relevant Do not pray to be seen by people, but pray to build a relationship with God. In verse 13, it is relevant that we still need to pray to God to bring us out of temptation because we still go into sin and we still need Him to deliver us from the evil one. Throughout the passage, when we pray, our relationship grows stronger with God, and that's why it's relevant to pray. And I think that's interesting and relevant, what you just said. This is really about God. Sometimes we think prayers is about ourselves. Now, God's showing us how to pray and the way we need to pray. But then when we look at the model prayer, the very first thing, why it's still relevant is it's first and foremost for God's honor and glory. His name is holy. And when we pray, that's something that's important for us to remember. His name is holy. In verse 12, 14, and 15, it talks about how we need to forgive other people just as God has forgiven us our debts. And I think this is still relevant in our lives because Jesus paid it all for us. He He came to the cross and died and rose again so that we could have life through him. And part of building that relationship with God is forgiving other people because that's how we have our relationship with, with God is because he forgave us our sins. So I think we've clearly established that these scripture verses are still relevant. I know we would all argue that all scripture is relevant for us today. Now that we know it's relevant, we need to answer the fifth question. What do we need to obey? What is the relevance? What does the application lead us to do? So let's look at these verses. Are there any specific commands that we need to follow? Or are there any examples that we need to follow? Question number five, what do we need to obey? So what I feel like we should obey is forgive other people because that's really important, and I see that in 14 and 15. 
something that we need to obey or I need to obey when I pray is found in verse 9 where it speaks about honoring God's name and making it holy and praising him for his attributes and his character. In verse 7, it says that we should not just keep using words to sound very good when we pray, but when we pray, this just needs to be for God's glory. Hey, I appreciate everybody's comments. I appreciate hearing what you're learning from God. As we process and finish up for the rest of our time together, question number six is, whom will we share this with? So I always ask this in two ways. What type of person needs to hear these scriptures? Does anybody have any ideas on whether it's a believer or a non-believer that would benefit most from the scripture? These scriptures are talking about relating to someone that knows who Jesus is as and knows who their Heavenly Father is. So I believe that it's speaking to someone that is already a believer who has been saved by Jesus Christ and who needs to work on their relationship with Him through prayer and communication with God. I agree. It seems like this is written for the believer, but I guess something that's interesting is it also gives us some insight on how we can maybe connect with people who don't know Christ yet. If they're praying, if they're just using uh, empty words, or if they're trying to use prayer to be acceptable to God or to be in good relationship with God. The second part of question number six is, is there a specific person that God is laying on our heart that we can share these verses with? So I want us to take a moment of just reflection and prayer, and let's take that moment and think about a person maybe that God is asking us to disciple and share these verses with. So let's pray. We are so glad that you listened to this podcast today about how to use the six questions that we spoke about. This is something we are very passionate about. We think that this is a great model to use for personal time and for core group time. And so we hope that this has been a blessing for you and maybe something that you can implement in your life. When we talk on the podcast, it's always about something that's happening in our life. We use these questions. We have not outgrown these questions. And and we even wanted our kids to be a part of this episode just to show how, how this process works. We firmly believe we're passionate about building faithful families. We desire that for our family. We desire that for your family. And if there's any way that we can continue to encourage you, please reach out to us. Let us know. We are so blessed that, that you spend your time with us listening to our stories, what God is teaching us. And we pray that that will be a blessing to you and your family as well. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. What happened? You talking with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> you're like looking at me and you're like, <laughs> 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 Then I saw her laughing and I knew what she was laughing about. <laughs> I couldn't stop. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why she was laughing. Like, why you guys were laughing? I'm like, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be so...